There is absolutely no way. Your Bible's open this morning. We're going to be looking at several verses, but let's start at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And when you find 1 Corinthians chapter 1, then you can go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then you can go to 2 Timothy chapter chapter 4. We, uh, I was watching, I, I can't tell you if it was Acorn, well, it couldn't have been Acorn TV because this was, it was the show, it's an old show called This Is Your Life, right? Anybody ever heard of that? Okay, thank you. Thank you for helping me. But I was, um, as a matter of fact, uh, I was, I don't know, I was watching a clip and I, I don't know um, how I found it, what was going on, but I started watching this little historical thing on uh, This Is Your Life and, and the, the show they were showing, that, the, the show they were showing, uh, was from Betty White, This Is Your Life. And uh, so... Uh, and I think the guy's name, I wrote it down, Ralph Edwards is the host of that. Okay, y'all know what I'm talking about then. So I better be accurate on some of this then. So, but anyway, they were talking about This Is Your Life, and they started out like with one of her, because uh, she was a great singer too, and so they, besides a movie star, they uh, started out with maybe one of her choir teachers in high school, and of course she's there. She thinks she's there for something else. She's come with some friends, right? And that, they surprise her. This is your life. And then they start bringing all these people. First they'll speak, you know, they won't, she won't see who it is. And they'll, she'll hear their voice and she'll say, Oh, that's my teacher so-and-so, so-and-so. And then the teacher will come out and they'll celebrate for three or four minutes. And, and then there'll be another voice to speak. And then that person will be somebody from her childhood. And, and that person will come out. And, and they walk through this thing and say, This is your life. I like it. It was a really neat show. And it seems to have always caught... That person unaware, so to speak. They do a great job of, of surprising that person. And this is your life. Well, let me read you a couple of things. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And what I want you to think about this morning, as we kind of step into the text, the, looking at the Apostle Paul when he wrote his, his final words, was, this is your life. This is your life. And, and I'm reading just a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians. Paul did this to ser- in several of his epistles. Uh, but let me just read it, then I'm going to pick a couple of key words. Uh, it says, Paul ca- called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Now, Paul's reminding us there that He was not part of the original twelve, but Christ did reveal Himself to Paul on more than one occasion and called Paul into apostleship. And so when Paul, of course Paul wrote more of the New Testament than anybody, so so Paul's reminding the churches that he's serving that he, what we would say is he has apostolic credentials, that he was an apostle and God had gifted him and called him 
not only to be a missionary to these churches and start these churches, but also eventually God's going to lead them to write, to write Scripture. But Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. Now look what he says. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together. Stop right there. To the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together. Now, the church is a big deal. We're not talking about church membership today. Our uh, you'll see it in our bulletin, our, our deacons, all of our ordained men, our staff, and, and our deacons were meeting on an early bird. We're doing an early bird study on Sunday mornings in the, in the fellowship hall. And part of what we're talking about is the doctrine of the church, church membership. The church is extremely important. And what I want you to know, I'm not talking about that this morning, but your life ought to be wrapped in the church. You don't, if you're here today and you're saved, you don't attend church. You are the church. You are part of the body of Christ. You know, we're, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm chasing a rabbit right off the top, Walter, sorry. Anyways, you know what that means? We're going over, is what it means. Anyway, so we were talking, I forgot a while ago, I was talking to somebody about this, and we might have been in the group with the men, but uh, oh, I was in my Sunday school class. In a lot of... Uh, in our documents, our constitution and bylaws, and, and most other churches do the same thing. Like when this church was founded in the late 70s, um, they asked the state convention to mail them some samples of, 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 of paperwork, even the constitution and bylaws. And so in, in our constitution and bylaws, you'd have you know, the church. We're, gonna, we're founding a church. And many times when you're reading that, it will say we are... Uh, a, volu a volunteer association of believers. Now, a voluntary, most of them say something like this, the first part of saying, having been or being a voluntary association of believers. And I know one of the reasons why they might say that is because from England, you know, the Reformation is church was tied to the government, so you were a member of the church if you were a citizen. So maybe they're trying, but a voluntary association of believers. And what I told my class, that's not true. If you're saved, you're not volunteering for anything. If you're saved, the Bible says Christ has placed you in His body, right? And, you got, and by, when we say the body, talk about the universal body of Christ. You are part of the body of Christ. And then you flesh that out by being part of a local church. So... Here, and this is really not the context, what I'm talking about this morning, but to read about the church. The church is the body of Christ. You're part of the body. And it's talking about, just physically. Beside you, we could talk about it being a marriage, husband and wife. We talk about being a building. We could talk about sheep and a shepherd. We could talk about all those metaphors. But when we think about it being a body, you are a member of the body. And no part of your body is insignificant. If you're here today and you're saved, you need to be in the church. 
This is God's will. Now look what Paul says. He says, sanctified in Christ Jesus. And of course, you know, sometimes I get into the language and, and maybe I, you think I'm trying to impress. And, but sanctified in Christ Jesus in the language of the day in, in Greek. Um, tense, mood, voice, all that, the language. This was an indicative, okay? Sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word sanctified means set apart in Christ Jesus. So, and it's indicative. So this is what it's saying. Anybody and everybody who's been born again. Now listen to what I'm saying. Because there's people here that are not saved. And inside, in the deep recesses of your heart and your mind, you know you're not saved. Because this is not true for you. What Paul's saying is, he said, sanctified in Christ Jesus. We, in the language of the Bible language, that Greek word sanctified is an indicative. You can tell that by the in, in, indicative. What an indicative means is that's just the way it is. This is God's plan that everybody, everybody that's ever been saved has been set apart by Christ, has been set apart to Christ. So if you're saved, God sets you apart for His Son's purpose. That's an indicative. But then it says, called to be saints. Called to be holy. Saints. Holiness. Related to the word holy. So, God sanctifies you. Of course, there's security in that. There's responsibility in that. There's all kind of things that go along with being sanctified in Christ Jesus. But then, called to be saints is not indicative. It's an imperative. It's a command. So we're commanded to be saints in this world. The word saint means holy ones. So, so for everybody who's ever been saved, and, and this is true for any church for the last 2,000 years, any church, any gathering of saints, we're sanctified in Christ Jesus, set apart, which is an interesting word because the word church means set apart, uh, set apart together. So we're... We're sanctified in Christ Jesus and we're also called to be saints, to be holy ones, to be God's children. So all of us in this room have a massive responsibility. So I ask you again, when I say this is your life, I need to put a question mark at the end of that. It's not a statement now. This is your life. Question mark. Is that you? Are you sanctified in Christ Jesus and are you living the life of a saint? You don't have to go there, but in Luke's gospel, this happened two times, and I'm going to paraphrase it quickly, but this is, this is the calling of the apostles, the disciples. And of course, most of them did what for a living? They were fishermen, right? And so Luke... Luke is describing the event of, of when several of them were called to follow Jesus. And some of this same, it, much of this, the calling of the disciples, mirrors the end when Peter went fishing again and Jesus shows up at the sea and reveals himself to Peter and restores Peter after Peter denied him. Well, this is the calling. If you read... Uh, Luke chapter five. You'll find out that they were not. They had fished. They hadn't caught anything. 
And Jesus tells them to cast their go back out. They'd fished all night long, didn't catch anything. So Jesus says, go back out there and drop your nets. Well, they didn't necessarily go way out there in deep water. They just went out there and dropped their nets. And the text says they caught a big load of fish. And they had to call their brothers to come help them drag it in. Just this massive load of fish. So there they were on the Sea of Galilee with probably the largest catch of fish they had ever had. And Jesus says, leave it all and follow me. And guess what they did? They left it all. I always wonder why Christ did that, why He gave them the most successful fishing event of their entire careers, possibly, and then He calls them away from fishing to be a fisher of men. Jesus does the same. He asks you to leave it all. Listen, it says they left their nets. They left their nets. They left their families. They left their father and they followed him. Folks, is that your life? Is that your have you abandoned your own pursuits, you know, crucifying yourself? Is this you? Is this your life? Have you left it all for Is Christ the greatest treasure in your life? It's like the parable of finding the, the going and buying the land because there's a treasure there. And so you buy the piece of land so you can possess the treasure. You give everything up for the treasure. Is this who you are? Listen to some of these passages in Matthew. It says, You will be hated by all for my namesake. Matthew 10, 22. Matthew 10, 29 says, Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now he's not talking about being executed. He's talking about you're not on your throne anymore. You've taken yourself, your own selfish goals and pursuits. You're no longer your own idol. You've crucified yourself and, and Christ is Lord. So whoever, whoever finds his life will lose it. So if you want to pursue your own path and and be your own little king, the Bible's saying, you go ahead and do that. But you're losing your life. But if you want to find life, you'll sell out to Jesus Christ. Amen? So I ask you again, is this your life? Have you, have you left it all to follow Christ? Uh, is your little kingdom... Is your little kingdom about you? Or is your kingdom about serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Folks, I'm telling you, you can tell. The Bible really says this. You can tell where people are spiritually by their relationship to the church. Whether they're, they love the church and they're in the church and a part of the church. And they're part of the participating in the body. Folks, if you love Jesus, you will love the church. Because Christ says it's His bride. And so we love what Christ loved, and Christ loved the church, and we want to, we want to love the church. I wrote a couple of questions down. It says, are you, are you too busy? Well, we're talking about this also in Sunday school. I, I understand that our culture, you know, e even when I was a young parent, I mean, that was a long time ago. Walter, it was even longer for you. I'm, but, uh, you know, 
Life was busy when I was in my late 20s and early 30s with kids. Yeah, I understand that. But for those past 30 or so many years it's been, life has gotten busier and busier and busier, hadn't it? You can say it has. You can say amen to that. It, it has. That's not necessarily good. Because what's happened, what's happened is the world, the world, as in who, who is owned by the prince of the power, who's owned by Satan, he's the Lord of this world. The world keeps saying, do this. And so we, we've, we, we choose what the world says do and we cram all these things into our lives. And by cramming all those things into our lives, the one things we jettison, the one thing we're willing to give up is Wednesdays, Sundays, reading our Bible every day, attending fellowship. We, so what we end up doing is we're so busy, we don't have time. And so we jettison the Lord. So I have this, I wrote, it says, Are you too busy to serve the body of Christ? Think about that. Are, are you actually too busy to, be, to have planted your life in the church and want to serve the body of Christ? It says, are you too busy to serve the body of Christ? Has the precious talents and time, and I think about this, the, the talents and time that God has entrusted to you, I mean, some of these are natural things, genetically. I mean, there's abilities. And other things are supernatural. We all get gifts when we get saved. So it, I asked, it says, or I read this somewhere, it says, has the precious talents and time entrusted to you produce fruits of godliness or you're just producing wild grapes from the world? Are you producing fruits unto holiness? Are you connected to the vine? as a branch, and depending upon Him at all times? Or are you producing, but producing wild things based on what the world... I mean, yeah, maybe you've got trophies and earthly riches, but you've, you've jettisoned the church, you've abandoned the Lordship of Christ to get those things. This is your life. What are you going to do about it? I was reading, it says, you've heard of the transmutation of wealth. And this is... Let me explain it. Transmutation of wealth. I've never heard that word, so let me tell you what it means. The transmutation of wealth is when believers joyfully give and Christ graciously, graciously connects, connects the money we give to eternity. So this, this scholar calls it transmutation of wealth that you and I can sacrifice and give to the kingdom and the Lord Jesus Christ will, will take that and it will be monies used for eternity. So, there, so things that you're investing in, that, I mean, Jesus says, store for yourselves, no, store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store for your treasures in heaven. That's Matthew 6. And, and so, but trans, so you can invest money and that money is invested in what the Bible calls eternity. Uh, let's go to what the... I just wanted to read some of that. I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and, and read to you a little bit about the Apostle Paul and, and Paul's 
life as he's about to be executed and just talk to you a little bit about what Paul says about his personal life. And you know, if you're thinking about the show, This Is Your Life, Is This Your Life, or This Is Your Life, the Apostle Paul on several occasions in the New Testament encouraged people to follow him as he followed Christ. That's a bold thing to say. And I, it's almost as if you're bragging, and Paul wasn't bragging, but he was encouraging people to examine him. And he was able to say, examine me and follow me. Do what I do, because what I'm doing is following Christ. And, and I always wonder, uh, number one, have I ever been able to tell anybody that? Uh, or will I tell somebody that in the days to come? Am I living the kind of life that I, I can actually say to somebody, follow me as, as I follow Christ? Well, in the context that Paul mentions that, he implies that all of us ought to be that way, that we live a certain kind of life to where we can invite others to mimic us. He uses that word mimic, to, to mimic our lives because we're following Christ. And again, I keep thinking about, is this your life? You know, And just think of if Christ were to start, miraculously start bringing people to your mind and heart that you've invested in, what would their stories be? You know, all these people, you know, I think all the time, I mean, I've been in the ministry a long time and I'm getting older and you are too, and, and so you wonder, what are the fruits of my labor? What are the fruits of your labor? And if somehow Christ did do that and, and He started pulling these people up and, and letting them share to you about you investing in their lives, number one, who would it be and how many would there be? And would it be meaningful? I mean, I, that's the kind of life Christ wants you to have. Well, Paul's at the end of his life and, and so he reveals some things about himself that's very profound, but not only are they profound, but they're supposed to be for us too. Um, of course, Second Timothy, I won't go into all the history, but uh, it is Paul's last letter. You do realize when you read it that he, he be, seems to be in, in, indicating that he, he knows his death is, is near. Uh, he's going to be executed soon. And so the, many scholars talk about this being Paul's last will and testament. Uh, and many of us have, have on many occasions, and I'm sure you have too, been at the the bed of, of some of the deathbed of somebody and and you know their life's waiting away and they're in the last few moments of their life and and if they have anything to say if they're able to speak at all you're very interested and you'll get down there I mean I've done this dozens of times you try to get down close enough to hear their weak voice because you want to know what they're having to say when death's approaching the door well here death is approaching the door and I just want you to see what Paul says. I'm in, I'm in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I'm going to read, I think, just six or seven verses. I charge you, chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Boy, that's loaded, isn't it? That verse is loaded talks about uh, He's going to judge the living and the dead. We're the ones that are alive, you know. They're dead in sin. So He's mentioning this judgment. 
He mentions his appearing, and I think this is purposeful, why Paul does it. There's an appearing of Christ. Where does Christ first appear? Where is He going to appear first? In the sky. And then He's going to establish a kingdom, but that's going to be where? On earth. Interesting that Paul does that. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, but thank the Lord Jesus, my judgment's not like those that are dead in sin. And by His appearing and His kingdom. So Christ is coming. Christ is going to establish a kingdom. What you do in the kingdom that is to come is being determined right now by what you're doing in Christ's kingdom now. Preach the word. And he's talking to Timothy. Timothy has been left at Ephesus to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. This is 64, 65 A.D. Could be even 66 A.D. according to whoever you're listening to. But Paul's fixing to be executed. They've left Timothy in Ephesus, which is the largest church in Asia. And he's to be the pastor. And and in the the way they do ages, Timothy, because of his age, would be considered a youth. That doesn't mean he's 19 or 20. It just means in their culture, he was younger than some. So So he's telling Timothy to preach the Word. He says, preach the Word. Be, be ready in season and out of season. Uh, the idea there is uh, being, being ready in it's not convenient times. You know, that, that being a gospel person, sharing the gospel isn't about it being convenient. It's about us being ready at any moment to share the truth of the gospel. Um, so he says... In season and out of season, reprove. He's talking about Timothy's role as a pastor. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete uh, patience and teaching. And of course, each of those words, uh, neuthetic. I mean, there's all these different words Paul uses for reproving and rebuking. Setting a bone straight, one of the words. Uh, um, leading people to think heavenly is another word. I mean, so reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. Is that true today? Is it true? People don't want to hear the truth. Even Christians are doing this. They're, well, I use the word Christian loosely there, but even Christians or churches are molding their doctrines or philosophies based on what people believe rather than what's in God's Word. Facebook is a poison when it comes to some of this stuff. If you're not a discerning person and you don't, you're not knowledgeable in the Scriptures, if you're not... If you don't know the truth like you should, you are very susceptible to the deception that is out there online. And Facebook would be just one example of that. But there are the devils using those things to distort the truth. And you, we can't expect the world, we can't expect the world to tell the world about the truth. We can't... The, the, the Bible tells us we got to be logical. The world that's, that's lost and, and under, the, under the, uh, 
power of Satan, that world is not going to tell the world about the good news. They're not going to speak the truth. So we need to be discerning. But he says, we, we love this because of how descriptive. It says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. The word sound is the root word for our word healthy, hygiene. The implications there are anything outside God's word is, is not healthy or it's, 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 it's cancerous. I mean, it's, it causes sickness, spiritual sickness. So you, you don't need to be listening to vain philosophies of the world People who have opinions that are just useless and empty. You need to be committed to God's Word or sound teaching has, as the, is written here. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit, and it tells us why, to suit their own passions. I mean, we live in, we, our culture is that way. Even in church life, you usually, if, if you spend enough time, it seems, and I'm not speaking from experience, but just from what I've seen, it seems as if you can, if you look long enough, you will find some church that will affirm any kind of sin you want to live in. You'll find some group of people, it's not a church, it's not biblical what they're doing, but they may call themselves church. You'll find some group of people that will say they're Christians and that will actually affirm any kind of lifestyle you can imagine. It's because they have itching ears. And, and so they look for a place to go, church, based on these, these passions. It says, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. Word accumulate for themselves is very interesting. The idea of stacking uh, one upon the other that just it's uh, and the word has a root that indicates that it's not easily stopped. That there's this there's this massive desire within to pursue another teacher that will suit what your ears want to hear. You're just unstoppable, unchangeable. You're just consumed with finding that because you don't want to know the truth. But all that is to say what Paul says in verse 5. As for you, and this would be true for everybody in here, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and then here's my plea to you, fulfill your ministry. Some translations say, make full proof of your ministry. ESV says, fulfill your ministry. Now we, we somewhat know what Timothy's ministry was. It, it was to be a pastor at Ephesus. Fulfill your ministry. All of us in here have a ministry. You know, that word ministry is not some magic word for people that are called into the ministry. That word ministry is the idea of being a servant. To serve. So, just like Timothy, all of us are called to minister in the body. When you're called to be saints, 
You're called to be a minister, to serve the body. So, Paul says to Timothy, fulfill, fill up, overflowing, fill up your ministry. Be committed to ministry, to serving the body. Fulfill your ministry. This is your life. What's your ministry? You don't have to say it out loud. What, what's, what, is your, what is your act of service in the body? What are you doing? What, who are you? Sanctified in Christ Jesus. That's what He does. Called to be saints. That's what we do. This is your life. Are you living that kind of life? Are you, think about it, fulfilling your ministry? What, what are you doing in the kingdom? And if you're, if you're asking the question, fulfill your ministry, if you're not united to a church, you can't do that because the whole context is the church, right? Am I right? I'm reading this. This is, a, this is called a pastoral epistle. It's an, apo- an apostle Paul writing to a young man, probably in his late 20s or 30s, that's pastoring the church at Ephesus. This whole context is about church life. And he asks... To fulfill your ministry. So, f- fulfill your ministry. This isn't about working for a civic organization. All that's great. But this is talking about the body of Christ. Just listen to what Paul says. and This is some strong things he says. Look what he says. He says, um, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Uh, that the words there, as a Jew, uh, this is the early stages of a Hebrew worship, pouring out libations. So what Paul realized, he's in the middle of the process of being executed. Now, I'm not talking about they're going to execute him the next day, but he knows the process has started. And so he, he has this expectation of being poured out as a drink offering. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Uh, you know, that word departure is, uh, is interesting because every time, like the way it was used, like it was, departure was, was taking up tent stakes. So that word was common in the common man's language. This word we translate departure is the idea of taking the tent stakes up because it's time to go. Removing the tent, so to speak. Uh, mooring a ship or unmooring a ship. Loosening a ship. Uh, untying a horse. Untying a sandal. So you're loosening something so it can go do. Well, Paul's saying, I'm, I'm fixing to be loose to, to, to enjoy the, the blessings of heaven. The time of my departure has come. And look what he says about his life. I know we're out of time, but just look at... He says, I have fought. Is this your life? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Now, fighting the good fight could be... It could be boxing. And scholars talk about this. Got the idea of competition. Uh, agonizing, struggling, could be a 
wrestling, boxing, but I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now for preachers, that's a wonderful outline. We fight, we finish, and we have faith. I have fought the good fight. By the way, there are some things worth fighting for. Doctrine, truth, obedience to Christ, doctrines of Christ. There's things that are worth fighting for. The health of the church, the name of Christ, protecting the name of Christ. Those things are worth fighting for. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And of course, our idea of the faith is this body of truth, you know, that, that we, know, we know now. We have it all combined together. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the what? The crown of righteousness, which the right, it says, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on, you see this all the time, we did it a couple weeks ago. So, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, so it's a crown of righteousness, it's coming from the Lord of righteousness, right? The righteous judge. The crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me, will award to me on that day. And then he says, not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Just a little side note, it is interesting. So Paul, Paul had stayed three years in Ephesus. He stayed in Ephesus longer than he did anywhere. You can read Acts chapter 19, and Paul stayed in, in Ephesus, and it says that, that because of Paul's ministry at Ephesus, and Ephesus' connection to all the other churches in Asia, that, that the gospel spread through Asia from the church at Ephesus because of those three years of ministry. So just think about that. But this, this, and so, so the book of Ephesians matters. It's interesting that half of what Paul says in 2 Timothy is tied into the book of Ephesians. But if you go to the book of Revelation, because Jesus spoke to the church at Ephesus, recorded in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus mentions the crown of righteousness. That based on your faithfulness, you will receive a crown of righteousness. So Paul's able to say, I'll receive the crown of righteousness. But then what he says, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Are we waiting on the soon return Imminency, you know, this any moment at any time Christ could come, the King could could appear and come back and 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 take us and we would be at the judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. That could happen at any moment. I was uh 
I think about our life in the church. Let me just give you an example, and this is kind of embarrassing, but I'll tell you. But I know I'm way over, but years ago, you know it doesn't really affect me, does it? I like saying it, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, Diana tell me it should have meant something when she sees me, but that's another thing. But years ago, when I was a lot smaller, Diane and I had scooters. Scooters. And uh, scooters. Boom, 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 scooters. And so, uh, and I was, I wasn't small by no means then, so I, I pretty well consumed the scooter. So, I was going to surprise Diane. She was doing an event for another church. She was at Taylor Road Baptist. And, and so I thought I'd surprise her and ride out there with a scooter. It's a long story. She was doing hair for a, a play. Whatever. I got on that scooter, and I was going the back way down Ware's Ferry. And a storm came up out of nowhere. And... I mean, this scooter's small. I'm like a giant on this little scooter. There's traffic everywhere, wind blowing, rain. You can. There wasn't, and I had to ride a good ways before I could find a place to pull off. Make a long story short. Bonnie had to come get me. Bonnie said, hey, Bonnie, you came and got me. Remember, you came and got me. My, I was, as we say, sopping wet. Sopping. I walked, at least they had a big rug, so I walked in this building and I, I would leave puddles everywhere. I was, I was just sopping wet. It was everywhere. Well, I want to be able to say to you, honestly, that the work of Christ, His Lordship, this church, that my life is, is sopping wet with Jesus and His work. I want to be able to say that. But not do I want to be able to say that. I don't know if I can. I want you to be able to say that. I want us together to be able to say, Christ is everything. Christ and His church, that's it. We are not just sopping, we are besotted that everything about us is about the glory of Christ and the work of His church. One day, this is your life is going to be for real. You're going to stand before a judge at a place called the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible says He's going to judge you based on your acts of obedience. The day is coming. Your eternal life didn't, doesn't start when you see Jesus. Your eternal life started when you got saved. You're preparing for eternity right now. And I do pray that you're making wise decisions. I pray that you love the Lord Jesus and you love His church. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed. Thank you for your presence this morning. Don't forget Wednesday night Bible study at 6 o'clock. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Thank you for the gathering of the church. Thank you for the work of the church. Father, thank You for salvation. Thank You for regeneration, for the new birth. Thank You for gifts. Thank You for the calling. Thank You for our security being sanctified in Christ Jesus, that He did it all. He paid the price and set us free. Lord, as we leave this place, I 
I pray that your word will go with us in our minds and hearts and, and, and will be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.